Hi Rachel, what are you doing? I've just put together episode 36 of the Lessons from Lost podcast. Wow, did you miss me last time? I did, yes. And who are we talking to this week? Harriet Whaley Cohen. And what's Harriet's story? Well, we talk about the impact of losing a breast to cancer and the unexpected lessons and gifts that that brought about. That sounds quite interesting. Does a porcupine feature in this episode? No, but we did talk about tattoos, so maybe somewhere there's someone with a porcupine tattoo. It's possible. Let's find out, shall we? Hello and welcome to Lessons from Loss, the podcast in which we share our experiences of loss and more importantly, what we learn from them that now positively guides our lives today. I'm your host, Rachel Smith, and each episode I chat with a different guest, and I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge the courage and vulnerability of all my guests in sharing their very personal experiences, and also the impact that hearing these stories may have on you, the listener. Please take care as you listen. Today, I'm delighted to be chatting with the force of nature that is Harriet Whaley Cohen. Harriet has been through multiple big life experiences and knows what it takes to make deep-rooted changes that stick and to get through tough times and come out the other side stronger and wiser than ever. As a women's leadership coach and victim-focused trainer, Harriet's mission over the past 19 years has been to make sure that women know their true value and can make the impact they want to make in the world, supporting them to change the way they think, act and feel in their relationship with themselves, their bodies and their potential massively for the better. Harriet's major life experiences include walking away from a successful investment management career, being 20 years in recovery from addictions and the one that we're going to focus on today is losing a breast to cancer and the impact that this has had and continues to have on her identity as a woman and how she feels about her body. Welcome Harriet. Thank you so much it's such a pleasure to be here and I so appreciate the introduction you gave um, to your podcast the care you took um, thinking about your listeners that I found that quite touching actually so um, thank you for creating such a safe space here. Oh thank you I try to create a safe space hopefully for not only my guests but the but the listeners as well so thank you I appreciate your appreciation <laughs> so thank you so much for your time today in coming on to share your experience of of losing a breast and that whole experience of of cancer and how that has impacted you so perhaps a good place to start is you know what was going on for you at the time when you first had that diagnosis yeah so it was in it was early September 2018 when I received the diagnosis and um and actually I think it is quite important to set the scene because gosh or you know anything gosh how far back should I go um I'd I'd left a really difficult unhealthy some people gave me their opinion that it was abusive marriage in 2012 and had was just starting to come out the other end of that by about 2014 I was retraining and all of that kind of thing and and setting up my coaching and speaking business to support women and um, it was all going incredibly well and then in the spring of 2016 I was quite badly injured in a car accident and it took me quite a while to um, to find my feet again and to learn to manage the pain and the trauma from that and I guess I was starting to 
get to grips with adjusting to that. I was absolutely still in a lot of pain all the time, but I was learning, you know, how to cope with it better. Mm. And it was probably, I'm trying to think, it must have been sort of March, April time, perhaps in 2018, when my business was going great guns. I'd been booked to do a European tour for a bank, you know, go to all their European head offices and speak to women's networks. You know, so my business had gone international. Everything just felt like, you know, I'd found my stride again and my star was soaring kind of thing. And um, I'd made a brave decision as well around my children that we were going to move to the countryside for a really amazing school, but a very different lifestyle as well. So we were moving, didn't know a single soul. So we made that move in the summer of 2018. And it must have been, as I said, around um, March or April time when I noticed I had a sign that something wasn't quite right um with um with that breast I I happened by some sheer lucky chance to be wearing so I usually um I usually wear black underwear actually so I don't wear pale colored tops usually at all rarely even in the summer to be honest um and um and I happened to be wearing a pale colored bra and I noticed that there was sort of sort of some dark marks in my bra and I thought that's very odd what's that and had a bit of a prod and um there was some sort of dark slightly bloody looking discharge and I thought Mm. that's not right and I knew from my family history um that I had a slightly elevated risk of breast cancer and it's the last thing you ever want to think is is like do I do I have this um my my main thought was oh that's odd I better just flag it up to the GP but because I'd had a, a a couple of quite close family members on one side of the family had had breast cancer one quite aggressively not that long before so I'd gone to my GP and I'd been they'd done all the genetic mapping at the yeah. clinic and they'd said I was slightly higher risk so I suppose that day when I rang the GP and said I've got this weird thing the lady on reception you know usually they say oh someone will ring you back later today and we'll book an appointment you know in like forever's time you know how hard it is getting appointments even pre-pandemic this wasn't easy to get appointments and they rang me back and said can you come now and I thought that's weird but I was like okay that's fine I can come now so I went now and she sort of had a look we had a bit of a prod or whatever and she said yeah I'm going to refer you to the clinic and then I went to the clinic probably around May time and they did a whole bunch of biopsies and they did the usual prodding and and mammogram and ultrasound and all this kind of thing and gave me the results a few days after that and they said 100% you have not got breast cancer we think you've got a a benign little growth in your milk ducts that's rubbing against the you know wall of the milk ducts and causing this little bit of bleeding um so what we'll do because sometimes very rarely but sometimes 10 years or so down the line it starts to cause a problem so Mm -hmm. we should do a very minor 10 minute surgery and we'll whip it out and it'll be fine so, you know, I'd been greatly reassured, absolutely did not have breast cancer. So I was like, oh, fine. I mean, that sounds like an inconvenience. I've got to go and have this minor yeah. surgery. So I booked it for the summer when um, my kids were away. The one week of the summer when they were away, I think I booked it for then. 
And it was interesting. So I was very, very anxious before the surgery because of some of the things I'd been through much, much earlier in my life. The thought of being knocked unconscious and strangers having access to my body was really scary for me. And I remember, I guess, a combination of prayer and manifestation, however you want to do it, going, please let there be women there. And and then I, I had an all-female team on the day. It was absolutely extraordinary. I had female anaesthetist, female surgeon, female everything. I was like, wow, yeah. I'm really being looked after here. Again, no real reason to worry. I vaguely remember as I came round the surgeon saying that they hadn't quite found what they thought they were going to find and they'd sent it off to the lab, but not to worry kind of thing. So I, I totally put it out of my mind, got on with the rest of my summer and then, um, you know, we'd moved to the countryside, um, didn't know anyone. And it was the third day of school. So the kids are kind of settling into their new school. I'm just finding my feet. And I had to go up to London for my post-surgical checkup. And I skipped in, didn't take anyone with me, because why well, would yeah. I think? I mean, yeah, I've been told several times there's nothing wrong. Um, and it was all healing nicely. I had a small little scar. And I got into the room. And I suppose I should have thought, that's odd. Why is there a Macmillan nurse in the room? But I didn't think that because I wasn't thinking like that. I just thought, oh, there's extra people in the room. Only for the surgeon, lovely, lovely man, to tell me that they'd found, you know, what was at the time non-invasive cancer cells. And I remember it was literally like I'd entered this soup. It was like I couldn't hear properly. I think it was just I, I dissociated completely. Mm. I was in full panic. And after a couple of minutes, and he was still talking and going, oh, we could do a mastectomy. We could do this and you'll need this and you'll need that and all these things. I, I just suddenly said, I'm so sorry. I'm having a full-blown panic attack and I haven't heard, word, heard a single word that you said. And at that point, the nurse stepped in and she said, have you got a friend you can call? So I met, I rang one of my best friends who happened to be free and not very far away. And she came down and sat with me for a bit. And then we went back in and had the conversation again. And that was and I was able to better absorb. But I was still absolutely freaked out, like mm. completely freaked out. And I remember all sorts of strange things for that day. Like I remember us like trying to call various friends and family and they were, they were, no one was answering the phone. And I remember us like laughing while we were having sandwiches going, swearing a bit and going, you know, bloody hell, why is no one answering the phone and stuff? And it was just, it was just weird. And I think the weirdest bit was going back to Hampshire and there was a football match on, not a serious football match. Obviously, it was the third day of term. It was a Wednesday afternoon. And standing on the touchline, and because I was the new parent, all these parents were like, oh, hello, you're new, aren't you? How are you doing? And me just going like, fuck, you know, in my yeah. head, just like, and, and having to go, oh, it's great, it's great. And, and all this kind of thing, whilst also fielding calls from all the people I've rung who hadn't rung me back, who were like ringing me back and and like going, oh, I can't really talk right now, but I really need to talk to you. And it was, and, and I think the worst bit was, um, there was probably about, I'm just trying to think, it was probably about a month after that when they they needed to run more tests, but they couldn't run them yet because I was still recovering from that surgery and apparently you had to wait six weeks or something or whatever it was. So they needed to do a whole bunch of tests. And, the, and the, I think the difficult thing was that for about a month, it felt like things just kept getting worse. 
and there were more answers I mean more questions than answers and yet at the same time on some level my life looked exactly the same but it wasn't it was very very surreal um and I and also I chose not to talk to the children until I had all the answers because I wanted to be able to sit them down and say look right here's the situation this is exactly what the plan's going to be. This is what it's going to look like for you. This is what it's going to be like for me. And I'd got lots of amazing people were absolutely incredible. Like the, especially because we were brand new at the school and the nurses at the hospital were amazing. They talked to me about how to talk to the kids. The lady, there's a lovely lady at school, head of wellbeing, who we went for a dog walk together because I didn't want to have to sit still in a room and think yeah. it and helped me to figure out you know how to tell the kids and and what was amazing was that it actually went incredibly well in the conversation because I I took them out for pizza and sat them down and said I've sort of got long-term good news but short-term it's going to be a bit rubbish and just said lucky we're really lucky it's very early stage but so you know we'll just it's just going to be a couple of months where you know I've got to go and have this surgery and then I'll be recovering and all of that and and I kept talking and then I asked, I sort of said to them, have you got any questions? And at that point, my older one looked at me with a really strange look on his face. He said, mum, you said it's good news. And I thought, right, I need to shut up now. <laughs> it's yeah. it's like the way I wanted it to. So I was like, yes, it's good news. And just, yeah, but I did. I, what was amazing was just the amount of friends and people who was just so incredibly supportive. The amount of people I had on speed dial during that month of sheer uncertainty and and everything yeah was absolutely incredible it is amazing isn't it how people and and it's not necessarily always the people that you expect to get that support from it I I've found certainly in times like that support comes from the strangest and most unexpected of places it's so true. It's so true because some people don't know what to say or how to be there for you. Yeah. And other people are extremely unhelpful. Yeah. And I, because I stopped sending newsletters, I'd stopped really posting on social media because it was all so chaotic that I was really just focusing on looking after myself. And I didn't feel that I wanted to communicate from an inauthentic place of going, oh, everything's yeah. great. Um, but when I did finally, I think it was a day or two before my surgery, I posted and I put up a newsletter and I and sent a newsletter and basically said, I don't need any support. I don't want advice from your cleaner's sister's cat's uncle that I should eat cabbage for a week and be fine. You know, if you want to do anything, send good vibes my way for the surgery. But because otherwise, that's one of the things that you're not prepared for with that kind of thing is the amount of unsolicited unhelpful actually advice that you get and then I think there was also this weird bit of having to choose which surgery to have because I I had to have what's called a skin sparing mastectomy so that's when they keep the skin but they take all of the tissue out from the inside because although it had wasn't yet invasive there was an awful lot of it I think it was something like 27 square centimeters which oh, a lot right and I knew I was going to lose my nipple as well, which I felt really strange about. Mm. I think any woman would do. And I've always had, I've always had quite, um, my boobs have always been a feature of me since yeah. I've been 
an adult I've always had quite big boobs as do all of the women in my family actually and I've always really loved them I've never had a difficult relationship with them I've sometimes resented the attention they've got me but not them you know it's always yeah that kind of thing and and I had the option to have an implant put in um that might last a few years or to have reconstruction using a different part of my body when they sort of move the tissue about and which is obviously a much more complicated surgery with a bigger recovery and more risks to it yeah well you've got two two surgery sites essentially haven't you exactly exactly and and I had a really because I've done lots of work over the years on healing my relationship with my body and on having an amazing relationship with my body when they gave me these options because initially they'd said that they couldn't do that that it was just an implant and then they started saying actually maybe they could that was after the genetic tests came back negative so we knew we were only doing one rather than two so right. it's like hmm, maybe we can we could do this so so then it was like well the best option would be to use my tummy which was really interesting because both my children had been c-sections and I had that so when you've had a c-section I don't know if you've ever had one but yeah yeah get, like you get like a bit of a pouch it's yeah it's like an overhang isn't it exactly yeah. exactly and suddenly it was like oh that could actually be useful and I I did this I remember really clearly I was in a hotel room in Paris because I I was on a business program that meant I went to Paris every quarter. It was very surreal. I'd been to see the specialist in London and then I'd got on the Eurostar, gone to Paris. And it was quite late at night and I was lying in my hotel room in Paris and I did this deep connection with my body, holding my tummy, holding the um, holding that breast and just tuned in and chatted and asked and said, you know, what do you want? What? How do you feel about this? And what I didn't expect was what happened next, which was that I got this message back from my tummy of like, well, I would be absolutely delighted to help. What a great idea. And there was this conversation going on between the two parts of my body where it was almost like they sort of made this deal behind my back almost, where they were like, okay, yeah, do that. And it caught me by surprise. And so Mm -hmm. I ended up deciding to do that. And it's called a DIEP, D-I-E-P, reconstruction I can't remember what it stands for but it's kind of like getting a free tummy tuck with your breast cancer so it was it was very weird because as well as losing the nipple and the breast as I knew it I was also losing that post baby tummy yes uh, which I'd always had I'd always had a fairly challenging relationship with not least because I'd had some really horrible comments about it um as well um that were very hurtful and so I'd always felt quite ashamed of it so I kind of it was kind of like well actually this could be turn out to be quite a healing thing um as you know in more ways than than I'd expected and so that was that was what I ended up happening having and I can't remember if it was eight or nine hours anyway it was a long surgery because they have to move every you know they have to take everything away and then they have to kind of move all these other bits and then put you back together in a way that is nice and obviously the recovery was not fun at all and I think one of the most difficult things was the first shower that I had when I was still shuffling incredibly slowly and it was a a a girlfriend who wasn't we were in the hospital and I was probably I guess four or five days post-surgery and it was a girlfriend she was sort of 
she was a school mum friend. She was the mother of one of my kids' best friends. So it wasn't like we'd grown up together or mm. were used to doing this kind of thing together. And she's like, well, don't worry. I'll help you have a shower. So it was like, okay, not only am I going to be naked with this friend, but I'm also going to be seeing my body for the first time. And that was that was a really big moment. And then I remember when all the tape came off, all the stitching and just really seeing the scars for the first time. And really, it took me, I think, several months to come to terms with how different my body was with the fact that I'd lost that part of my tummy, that I'd lost my strength, that I'd lost my energy, that I'd lost my nipple. I think that was the hardest bit. I think I still I still have a bit of nipple grief if I'm honest, four and a half years down the line. And and I know that the techniques have vastly improved now. The surgeon said that to me when I had my annual checkup recently. He said, oh, if it was now, we wouldn't have had to do that. So good for women in the future, actually. And various girlfriends who've been through it since then, I've always said to them, if you can, keep your nipple, because it's really mm. weird to lose your nipple. And and I think it it took me, it was took me several months to to get to a place of acceptance and compassion for how my body was and it took me I, I I had to get my butt kicked as well by exhaustion and anxiety probably about I'm trying to think it must have been about three or four months after the surgery because I genuinely thought that when the surgeon said look you'll be tired for a year or two I thought it can't be that bad how can you be tired for a year or yeah. two <laughs> and what I hadn't bargained on because the um, pain I had in my head and neck from the car accident. Was, oh gosh, of course. Yeah. Because yeah. that was nerve pain. Um, what happened was my, my nervous system just went into complete panic mode mm. after the surgery, like as if it wasn't already in panic mode after the car crash. And that was a much harder thing to come to terms with was the fact that whilst I was recovering quite well from the surgery, the pain levels from that had shot through the roof and all my anxiety around being in cars had come back as well. Um, and I think yeah. that, that's a fairly standard trauma response to some, you know, to the shock of the diagnosis, the shock of the surgery, the shock of everything, really. Mm. And so I, it just felt like kind of indignity heaped upon indignity. Like I've lost this, I've lost that. Now I've lost my, you know, I'd worked so hard to feel safe in cars again. And now I've lost that. And like, oh my goodness. Yeah, uh, it's the impact, isn't it, of all those layers yeah. of traumas that happen, whether they're big traumas like a car crash or or even just you know like the the micro traumas almost that are that are happening they all layer up don't they and and impact the way that we can then deal with future things exactly exactly and actually um I think what was good about that was was that it made me I get and I probably would have done if I hadn't had the diagnosis because I put trying to deal with and find a solution to the pain situation I obviously put that on the back burner um yeah but it made me it sort of brought it sharply into focus again and and I did luckily I did find someone she purely by chance through a school mum at a coffee morning um who turned out that she was a pain management doctor and although what I was suffering from wasn't her area of specialization she said oh you need to see my friend so-and-so and I was able to see him um, very quickly and got it sorted and came off all medication, which absolutely miraculous. 
what did that kind of involve was that well um I actually had a series of steroid injections into the nervous system in the back of my head which was as painful as it sounds however the first and it doesn't work for everyone um, but I was just really lucky I think because it works for about five out of six people so um I was one of the the lucky majority and sort of the first set of injections took my pain from sort of here down to there so it was much more manageable and then the second set took the pain away completely but then I because I was on so much medication I had to very slowly come off all of it yeah I think the thing that I found really difficult with the breast cancer surgery and and adjusting to my body afterwards was that I've always been someone who's very comfortable with my sexuality with my with with you know that part of me that is a sexual being as an adult as a woman and I did not feel I didn't feel sexy at all after my surgery I felt really worried about how someone would respond to the scars I felt really funny about um not having that nipple and I also felt I think I mean, it, it, although it had happened to an extent after the car accident, because I had to be very careful how I moved my body, I felt even more worried that I would, I just had so many limits on my body. There was this kind of like, almost back to that old story from years before of no one's going to want me, there's something wrong with me, you know, all that sort of stuff. And it it took quite a lot of of work initially to reach a place of just kind of loving acceptance and compassion for what I'd been through and for how my body was. And what um, sorts of things were you doing to help you get that back? I was really focusing. Um, one of the things that I found helps has always helped with that, with, with body relationship trouble is to focus on, on gratitude for what my body does for me rather than negativity for how it looks yeah. and disappointment that it doesn't look how I would want it to look. So I had a, appointment with the one of the surgeons I had two surgeons um the simplest way to describe it was a taking away surgeon and a putting back together surgeon okay or a more cosmetic surgeon and she was this amazing woman she was very cool she had like short spiky bleach blonde hair and black nail polish and kind of like you know sparkly stud earrings and stuff she was absolutely fantastic and she explained to me well you know we can tattoo a picture of a nipple there's people who do these 3d looking tattoos you can we can do a surgery to make a fake sort of nipple thing but it, they, apparently that doesn't tend to last so well for some people but then you still it wouldn't look like a nipple you still have to have mm. the tattoo and then I started thinking well I'm gonna get why would if I was gonna get a tattoo there why would I get a picture of a nipple I could get a picture of anything yeah <laughs> and um and I started to research and discovered that it's this whole special branch of tattooing the kind of like medical post-breast cancer surgery tattooing and that some women have had the most incredible artwork done to cover their scars so I started thinking I think I'm going to do that and eventually found I think it was on Pinterest this one picture and I thought whoever's done that that's the person because that's the most unique incredible beautiful and it was floral and it was just so feminine but beautiful um and and tracked down the artist who turned out to be in America which was a bit of a pain um and it turned out that he was one of the top people in the world who does this post breast cancer post you know 
post-surgery tattoos um of course <laughs> trust me to find <laughs> like it's the best or nothing um and and I applied on his website and it was this long form you had to fill in you know about what it meant to you and your work and your relationship with your body he's obviously very picky mm. and then right at the bottom of the form it said please also send some pictures and I was like, oh, my God, this is everything I've always been told not to do. You do not send strange men on the Internet yeah. pictures of your boobs. So and that took me quite a few more days. And then I thought, well, if I cover my face with a scarf or something, then it's, you know, because that was the thing that was worrying me, those pictures being out there. And I, I sent it off. And then probably a few weeks later, I heard back from him and he said he'd love to do it and that I was, you know, the perfect sort of candidate and I had a business trip to America coming up you know much later that year about a year after my surgery which is apparently perfect mm -hmm. and we booked it in and then the most bizarre thing happened which was I was on holiday in France it was in the July and I got this call from America and it was him and it turned out that he was going to be in Europe he was doing part of a charity campaign for the GHD hair straighteners, because every oh, yeah. year we want limited edition hair straighteners with special artwork on them. And it was his artwork. And um, and they were going to be fundraising for a breast cancer charity. And he said um, that he was going to be in London and he was going to be on this TV show that I probably hadn't heard of. But the producers had had this crazy idea that he could tattoo someone live on air and that I was his pick out of all his British potential clients because he knew I did a lot of speaking because he knew I did a lot of work with my relationship with my body yeah. he kind of thought that I might be a suitable candidate and and I said oh what's what's the tv show and he sort of said oh you won't have heard of it it's called this morning <gasps> so I kind of thought about it and I said well look I need to um, and I explained to him about how I needed to tune into my body because actually this was for my body to decide my head because my head is going that's insane you can't have your boob tattooed live on national television another part of my ego was going oh my god that's so amazing you know there was, yeah, it was yeah. in a conflict there was also part of me that went but I thought we weren't having this done for three or four months I'm not ready I'm not ready for this I thought there was another part of me that was like I'm not sure if I'm mentally prepared for this. So I did again that tuning into my body and got back this like super enthusiastic, excited like response. So I, I got back in touch with him and said, yeah, absolutely. And then literally days later, I find myself being picked up by a car at like six o'clock in the morning, take him to the TV studios. Him and I had been back and forthing on WhatsApp, creating designs together. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, you got your design by that point. Well, normally you would do it with him on the day because okay. he's 3D imaging and then you can see what it would look like on your body kind of thing. And then when you're ready, he does the design. So yeah. we've done all of that virtually. And um, yeah. <laughs> And I am, I am that crazy lady who had her reconstruction tattooed live on national television. Wow. Um, and it was such a moment of reclamation because firstly, it was this, it was an incredible experience. Also, it wasn't painful because they'd taken all the tissue out from the inside, had no nerves. Um, okay, yeah. either. It was only right round the edges where I suddenly would be like, oh, but otherwise we were just chatting away as if, as if he was drawing on me with a yeah. Quite frankly, so I had this amazing, beautiful tattoo of 
so it's it's again because it all his work is floral it's of um beautiful roses and then after and they they filmed it very close up while it was happening I said you, you know I don't want my face shown whilst you're filming it and um what they were going to do was show it as a time lapse whilst we were on the sofa talking about it and I did a deal with the producers I said you can do that but in all the catch-up versions or on YouTube anywhere I don't want that bit shown because I don't think that's fair on my children yeah so and they they honored that so it and it was very weird because I you know only took an hour or two to do the tattoo we were chatting away getting on like a house on fire I think the guys from the from this morning who were filming it were like this is unlike anything we've ever experienced before and then it was quite quick they had to get me into makeup one of the weirdest things and maybe you'll know this person from the personal development industry Matthew Hussey who's one of the most famous dating coaches in the world was in the chair next to me the whole thing was so bizarre and then um (laughs) and then I'm like in the studio getting mic'd up on the sofa with Eamon and Fiona you know chatting about it talking about reclaiming my body and then literally in a cab back home sat on the sofa at 11 o'clock having a cup of tea with my mum wow (laughs) and and did you always have to pinch yourself I think did that really happen well I did but then obviously I had I had the I had the tattoo and that was that was a monumental moment for me in terms of starting so much more to come back to who I it just felt like a big marker like okay I, I now feel I've reclaimed my body um and I felt and it's such an amazing tattoo I was like I do actually feel kind of beautiful and maybe even sexy again um and and started to be able to bring back that part of my identity that I'd felt I'd lost as well um so it was a it was a really incredible moment um and and to not only have it done in such a crazy way but to because of that um, and I still sometimes get messages from women who've found it on YouTube um, and to say, you know, they say that it's inspired them and it's given them hope and all this kind of thing, you know, which is just absolutely amazing to think that from something that was really so distressing and felt like such an identity and health collapse really had become something rather wonderful and beautiful. And and I think I mean, one of the things that happens, everyone I've spoken to who's had cancer says this, that you're never really the same again, because it's like this sort of thing looming over you. You never quite know, is it going to come back? When you've had that, when you've been faced with your mortality like that, you do, I think you do live life differently. Um, But there is also grief for the person that didn't have to think about that before. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. So it's not just grief for that possible part of the body that you've lost but yeah yeah. exactly exactly and um yeah what can I say I mean and now here we are it's me four and a half years down the line and apart from the nipple loss which still feels like a loss it doesn't really feel like a loss anymore I don't think it feels more like an evolution Mm. Uh, yeah 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 So what would you say if you have, what's been the biggest learning out of all of this? Because of course it is, the podcast is about the lessons that we learn from these losses that we go through. So what what have you learned? One of my great friends and mentors at the time, Fabienne, 
she said to me at the time, uh, right after my diagnosis, I think I was having a really angry dog walk. I was stomping around the field near where we lived, screaming at the universe, like really letting the rage out. This was definitely the period of time when I, I hadn't told the children yet. I was just effing furious, like what the hell, you know? And she um, and she said to me, not in a toxic positivity way, but she just said, Harriet, why is this happening for you instead of to you? And that was just such a big shift because I was like, hmm. and I went, well, actually, you know, I've had a really early diagnosis. And yes, I have to have this huge surgery, but hopefully they found it early enough that my prognosis will be excellent. I can carry on being a mother. My kids are going to have me in their life. I can carry on with my work, like all there's there's gifts in this, you know, there's gifts in the fact that I lost that pouchy bit of my tummy that I'd always had a challenging relationship with and felt quite ashamed of and didn't like. There's just, as time has gone on, I can see more and more the gift in it mm. rather than seeing it as a horrible, awful thing that I had to go through. I think there's also a big lesson in faith there. I mean, I've always for many years been someone who's had quite strong faith and who's leaned on my faith, but that trust that, you know, I am being looked after, that everything is going to work out okay, that you've just got to trust the process, just take the next step. And just keep trusting the process. Um, I think that was a big, you know, a big lesson in faith for me. And and I think there was also, I suppose, lessons in attachment. And, and it was just really interesting for me to notice how attached I was to being what I saw as quite sexy, you know, and to lose that and then to find it again, but in quite a different way. Um mm that was quite a big lesson in terms of um and I've had that quite a few times in my life where I feel like I've lost part of myself and then I've gone through a bit of a process to get that back or to find it in a new way and it was another was an, it was another trip around that that yeah. spiral yeah. as well and then refinding it in in a better way or perhaps a more healthier or sustainable way does is, is, has that sort of been the difference or is it just that it's been in a different way I think it's probably in a more more loving more self-honoring way actually I think because of the scars and the tattoo and it's such a story because people always go oh <laughs> what's that all about um that it's taught me to be even more protective of myself and my body and and all of that yeah and to perhaps be even more careful and precious about who I might share myself with and under what circumstances yeah yeah Yeah, definitely a good thing absolutely Um, for for women in general for us to really and see the sacredness of what it means to share your body with someone. And then I guess being able to share sort of elements of that experience, if not necessarily details, but what you gain from it then with the women that you work with. Definitely. 
Definitely. I mean, it was interesting because even before the car accident, I had been running body love retreats um, every so often. And then but but had had no understanding of disability or, or pain conditions or, mm. you know, bodies being changed or disfigured through surgery. I, I'd had none of those experiences. And with each of those experiences, I think it brought fresh layers of compassion and understanding and, and lived experience. And, and what's interesting as well, because I one of the reasons I think I was so cross when I got the diagnosis, because I was like, but I've had, you know, I've been clean and sober for whatever it was, 15 years. I've been living a really clean lifestyle. I've been off sugar for five years. You know, I was living off green smoothies and kale. And I was like, you know, I, so I was really cross about that. Yeah. Until yeah. someone pointed out to me, think how bad it might have been if you hadn't. I was mm. like, ah good point very good point yes um, yeah actually maybe everything that you've done over the previous 15 years of exactly of cleaning up so to speak actually mitigated the uh exactly. The extent exactly and I think I became in a more loving compassionate way more flexible about what I eat because I had some a lot of very rigid rules you know no wheat no dairy no sugar no this no that which had worked for a while but I think I felt this need to be softer and more compassionate Mm. and a bit more balanced and a bit more flexible and 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 the first weekend after my diagnosis I was so furious I ate loads of chocolate brownies and Domino's pizza and then I felt really sick and I was like oh yeah now I remember why I don't eat this stuff you know and I and and last Friday I remember I, I had a really gourmet pizza I bought this beautiful base with tomato on it in the supermarket and I put organic mozzarella and all my favorite toppings and organic spinach and all this really yummy stuff on it and I think I think that that flexibility and kindness um has been a really wonderful gift actually rather than that that very tight rigidity and rules that I'd had for myself before yeah lovely as you say softening there of, uh, exactly just sort of maybe rules. finding a middle ground rather than it being all brownies and dominoes or all kale and no sugar you know was finding that finding a middle ground yeah because so often when we kind of think of oh well you know if I'm gonna love my body and um you know do the keep it in optimum condition that actually we you know I need to be so rigid on all these rules of what I'm going to do but yeah as you say just being able to soften that a little bit and be more compassionate to yourself because you know stuff happens in life when actually we do all occasionally need a chocolate brownie or a a slice of pizza (laughs) we want one that we want one yeah deny ourselves yeah real punishment and self-rejection in that denial Mm. Uh, and I didn't didn't really want to be in that space of self-punishment and denial and I think one of the things that happened is that I realized that I had spent probably all of my 20s and 30s I was 42 when I had my diagnosis but I'd spent most of my 20s and 30s tightly controlling my size and my weight you know, if I got above a certain number, I would do like a cleanse or a juice this or that or whatever it is and, and get my weight back down. And, and I've reached this place now where I'm, yeah, I'm heavier than um, and perhaps a size bigger than I was earlier. But I don't think in my late 40s I'm supposed to be 
the same size and weight as I was in my twenties. I don't think that's healthy. And I also think it, And but I'm probably fitter and happier than I've ever been. And I just take real joy in movement and joy in healthy eating and, and joy in my health now, rather than it being um, a punishment. And I think that, you know, going through that whole experience of breast cancer really um, has helped me with that. Um, yeah. to be, be so much more forgiving and kinder and to focus more on what matters which is ultimately for me when it comes to my body is for my body to feel loved and honored and respected to feel fit and strong and healthy which may not be compatible with size eight jeans <laughs> and that's all right <laughs> yeah because it's just you know? a number <laughs> exactly exactly and um yeah yeah, all of that stuff. Well, it's interesting because when I was about a year into my addiction recovery journey, I went to see this amazing nutritionist, natu naturopathic doctor who identified lots of things that didn't work well with my body that made me tired and put my system under stress. And we did this almost like year long cleanse as well to get all the you know, crap of years of awfulness out of my system. And I think that um sticking quite tightly to that was put initially was part of my recovery process it was part of healing my relationship with yeah. my body it was like I will only put good things in I'm so sorry for how much I've trashed you and allowed others to or, or you know you've been abused by others and therefore you know th let's start a period of intense repair and then over time, you know, through having children and all that, you know, things become softer and literally and emotionally. Um, and then they become tighter again. And, you know, the, the, the cycles that we all go through. Um, but I do feel like the last, you know, four and a half years since since the surgery that I, I feel like, I, I, you know, I'm so much softer in my approach, um, which feels so much kinder as well. Are there any words of advice that you might give to somebody who's listening, who has perhaps just had a diagnosis or maybe considering options or maybe post-surgery and, and struggling to come to terms with the changes in their body and how they feel about them? Yeah, I, th I think what I would say is that whatever you're going through and however you're feeling, that's okay. Because I think we feel such great pressure. There's so much um language around cancer like you know a battle and a fight and like it's almost like this you know and we often don't feel like that and people think that once you've finished your surgery and your treatment that you should be fine again yet that's when you're exhausted and the emotional enormity of what you've just been through hits you like a ton of bricks because everyone I know who's been through it we're sort of so busy surviving yeah. it and just getting through the awfulness of it that it's not really a lot of time to process the emotional side so so I just think to anyone who's going through it or who's just gone through it just however you're feeling what do whatever you need to do to get through it get as much support practical emotional logistical get as much support as you can and it's okay to feel however you feel there's no right or wrong and and it's a bad enough experience or a challenging enough experience that's a better word really isn't it without shaming yourself for how you're getting through it you know there, there were some very dark days there were some very sad days there were some very weird days and I think we just got to get through it however we can and and but I I would love to offer that hope that 
it does get better. You know, you can make peace with how you feel about your body. You can still have a good relationship with your body. You can come to terms with the changes. And I'm always totally happy if people want to reach out to me and have a chat about that. Of course, they're totally welcome to do that. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you, Harry. And how would what would be the best way that people could make contact with you? Yeah, so the platform I'm the most active on is LinkedIn. Um, so, and I'm the only person in the world with my name, so you can yeah. just look up there or, or have a look on my website um, and, and there's a contact, you know, contact details on there as well if people want to get in touch at all. About and what's your website? Um, it's harrietwhaleycohen.com without the hyphen. Excellent. That's the, uh, the advantage of having a very unique name there. Isn't it? rachelsmith.com went years ago (laughs) (laughs) i bet it did oh my goodness you have to be the one and only rachel yes absolutely (laughs) oh well thank you so much for your time this morning harriet it's um it's been lovely listening and relating myself to the things that you that you've had to say and i'm sure there's a lot of people listening out there who will get huge um, comfort or hope from from hearing about your experiences and what you've learned from it all so thank you so much you're welcome oh thank you so much Harriet that was a beautiful conversation and all the wisdom about finding gifts within a challenging situation like that you know it's not just specific to breast cancer but anybody who feels some disconnect from their body for whatever reason that actually there is hope that you can begin to reconnect and and soften with your body again Thank you so much for everybody who supports me in the production of this podcast, to Jamie Farrell for the beautiful music, and of course to you for listening. Take care of yourselves and I'll be back soon with another lesson from Lars.